right, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. Acts chapter 2. This is kind of our last of the, I don't even know if we have an official name for them, but, but we're not in a series right now, so, what's that? The interim, <laughs> the, interim the in-between, um, the upside down. No. no one? Anyone? Anyone? No? Okay. All right. Never mind. Pop culture reference that didn't pop. It's good. Thank you, man. The, uh, but there, there's no roadmap for these these Sundays in between. Uh, Jason and I just try to be sensitive to how the Lord's speaking to us. Maybe there's things that He wants us to talk about, uh, share with you, and and uh, things maybe that we've encountered in our Bible reading that that connects with us or moves us. And so uh, this last week I was reading in the Book of Acts, and I was thinking about our emphasis this last fall on uh, who's your one, uh, one person in your life that you want to pray for and ask God to move in their heart, their life to become a believer. And uh, we're going to tag on to that a little bit as we begin our series next week, uh, The Gospel According to Mark. We're going to work through the Gospel of Mark, and I think you'll enjoy that. Mark is, I don't know, it's kind of the, it's kind of the ignored gospel uh, sometimes, uh, We've spent a lot of time uh, over the past uh, many years in the Gospel of John, uh, talking about uh, the things that uh, Jesus' best friend recorded there and his insights. And, and then Luke, uh, he has this perspective that comes from uh, a doctor and, and his attention to the detail about miracles and things like that. And then Matthew is just this great, great um, uh, kind of one of the early disciples and, and seeing it from the ground up and he has really this studious insight into the teachings of Jesus. And then uh, there's Mark, um, which we don't really know for sure who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we think it was a, an, a disciple, an apostle called John Mark. That's why it's not called John because there's another John already. But most scholars believe that it was actually probably the stories that Peter wanted to tell that then had been recorded on his behalf. And so there's some really neat stuff in there. Uh, we get to see where the Gospels harmonize with one another and share stories. And then we get to see some distinctions in the Gospel of Mark that we don't find those stories in other accounts. And we'll go through those. But when we get to the, the section uh, that talks about Jesus calling his disciples... We're going to kind of tag back to the who's your one theme, and I'm going to share with you a resource called the three circles. And uh, I know sometimes uh, the conversations I have with folks is they're like, they want to share their faith, they want to be a witness, but it can be frightening and it can be intimidating, and they're not sure how to start the conversation, or if they start the conversation, how do they bring the conversation to a place where they can uh, ask someone uh, realistically to make a decision about Christ. And so... This resource will help you do that. And I kind of wanted to hint at that a little bit today because the word that we use for that when we say that we're going to share our faith with someone or we're going to talk to someone about Jesus, the common word that we use is witness. I'm going to witness to somebody. 
And, uh, you know, uh, in the old days, uh, sometimes the preacher would get going and he'd get really excited and he'd say something he thought was, was, was valuable. Like, I kind of did it with Stranger Things right here. That, by the way, those of you who don't know, that was the reference. Stranger Things, the upside down. Thank you. Sam would have gotten it. He, he would have known. Um, but the preacher would go, can I get a witness? And people would say, yes, you know, amen. Come preach on, preach us something. And it's this idea of this shared community of an experience that we've had together and yet separately. Those of us who are believers in this room probably did not come to Christ at the same time in the same room in the same conversation. It happened in multiple different places and yet we share this experience. And I can never, I can never express to you enough how important your story is to sharing the story of Jesus. Because what Jesus has done for you is something that people can't argue with. They, I mean, they can, but it's your experience. It's what you've come to know. It's where you've seen God uh, show up in your life and provide for you and guide you and lead you and teach you. Um, it's the transition inwardly that you've made from one who used to uh, not think about godly things and not worry about God's place in your life to one who is striving in some manner to now be someone who is a follower of Christ and trying to do as God would lead you to do and, and to be obedient to what he wants in your life. It's, and that's kind of a lifelong process that we talked about a number of weeks ago called sanctification. Uh, being more, becoming progressively more who God wants you to be as his holiness grows in your life. It's not an instantaneous transformation. We don't all become super Christians the moment that we're, that we're saved. We still wrestle out with the things that are in our lives, and God then tries to speak into those things. Do we allow him to do that? And so this idea of witness, or witnessing, telling our story, whether it's our collective story or our individual story, it's just so important. And if you haven't really thought about your story, you know, maybe, maybe you're like I was. I was a kid. I, I made a decision for Christ when I was eight, and it was very real. Uh, I, I know that it was true. It, it wasn't something that I needed to do over later, but the reality was that by the time I was in my mid to late teens, I wasn't necessarily a very good follower of Christ because my faith hadn't matured. And I, and I kind of see my faith in Christ in, in two, two stages at least. I could probably point out some others if I really sat down and started to analyze my life with Christ. But there was that moment that he saved me, and he, I, he genuinely saved me because I know what was happening to me internally and what I experienced in that moment. God was faithful, even though I was a small child, to rescue me in the way that, that he does and in a way in which I could understand at that time. But there was work that needed to happen in me that couldn't happen when I was eight years old. Um, there were mistakes I was going to make along the way because we're human and we make mistakes. And by the time I became an, an older teen and I was, you know, I was president of the youth group and, and I led Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. And that's all great. But there was still transformation that needed to happen in me then, radical transformation. From someone who was saved but not necessarily particularly aware of what it meant to walk with Jesus in a daily fashion. 
And I really credit uh, a guy named Andrew Large, Karen and I's, uh, I think that's really the only youth pastor we shared in common, right? Um, when we were growing we met in youth group, by the way. Um, she was my girlfriend's best friend. Uh, it's fine. Um, but uh, I really credit Andrew Large because he was a, he was a little dynamo, man. He was a ball of fire, ball of energy, little dude from Texas. And uh, he took it seriously about, about building relationships with young people that he had opportunities with to disciple them into the way of Jesus, to becoming followers of Christ. And he's really the one that, that through his interactions with me, kind of began to turn my thinking, challenged me enough to where God could begin to lead me and move me in a different direction. And so you might be that kind of person. You're thinking, well, I don't know about my witness. Well, have you had that, have you had that transformation from one who is saved to now one who is actively considering what is God's plan and place in my life? Maybe that's why you hesitate and you wonder why you have a story because the story hasn't been fully revealed yet because you haven't fully engaged with life in Christ. So that's something for you to consider as you think about these ideas. Um, that doesn't mean you can't share how God saved you because that moment was real and that experience was real. And I'm sure that you can identify uh, that. Maybe someone sat with you and prayed with you, led you to Christ, showed you what the Bible said about salvation. Uh, maybe it's something you experienced in a church service like this and, and a pastor was preaching and they preached a message that God touched your heart and he drew you to himself. Whatever it is, that moment is valid. That experience is valid. Maybe it's just as you grew up in the church, you came to a realization of who God is and what Jesus was offering, and you just made an internal decision that, yes, I want that. I want to be saved. I'm going to be obedient to Christ, and, and I understand my sins and my need for forgiveness. And it wasn't any big deal. It wasn't any big, you know, rockets going off or anything like that. It was just a moment that you went, yes, this is who I'm going to be. That's part of your story. It's sad that in a lot of places and in a lot of churches and in a lot of lives, and I think this was true in my life, that journey kind of stopped for a while. Uh, it's something that we try to address here at Christ Community Church through life groups and through personal conversations, through the teaching that we do on Sundays to try and grow us as disciples so that that life in Christ continues. But uh, Jason's preached a sermon a couple of times over the last 20 or so years that's uh, really great. His perspective on it, I think, is fantastic where... Uh, a lot of times our story lacks depth because uh, the practice in so many places and in so many churches is kind of like going to Universal Studios, standing at the gate, waiting in line. You, you have a goal. You want to get into the park, right? That's where you want to go. We went to Universal a couple of years ago, had a fantastic time uh, hanging out, just the four of us, and went to Harry Potter World and all that kind of stuff, and, and it was awesome. But so many times, the way people treat their faith in Christ is they get to the gate of their salvation and they get the ticket, they go in the door, and then they never leave the other side of the gate. They're inside the park, but they never experience anything that's happening in there. And sometimes we've, we've sold salvation that way. You know, just get your ticket punched. Get your parachute so that you don't go to hell. Ooh, I got my parachute. Now I'm just going to stay here in the plane. 
And yet, if that's the analogy, if you go to Universal Studios, buy a ticket, and go in the door, you can say you've been to Universal Studios, but have you really been to Universal Studios? You haven't really been until you experience everything that has, is there to offer to you. And that's kind of the thing with our Christian life. I don't want you to be stuck at a place where you kind of got your ticket, God's rescued you, but you haven't experienced all the other things that he has in store for you, the other things that he wants to have for you, because you haven't gotten to a place where your thinking has turned towards, I want to be obedient to what God wants for me. I want him to, to invade every part of my life and the decisions that I make and the direction that I go and the things that I think and the things that I say. And you're just kind of living a life that is somewhat attached to the presence of God, but he's not fully present in all parts of your life. I think that's kind of a natural thing at the beginning for many people, but at some point, hopefully we begin to, to transition from that and people around you who follow Christ or hopefully your church is doing something that challenges you to move beyond that. And so when we, when we look at the story here in Acts chapter 2 and we talk about the word witness, we're going to find that in this text. And I just wanted to remind you in this story, you're going to see how powerful your experience and what you've observed, what you've come to know about God, how powerful it can be when you speak it to other people. And what we find here is we find Peter, who's uh, speaking to a whole bunch of people. A lot of them are religious leaders. Most of them are, from the context, we understand that most of them are probably Jewish people because of some of the things that he says. And he's began in uh, verse uh, 32 of chapter 2. He says, This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Now, just before this, he has gone through a lengthy discussion about the things that he's seen, about uh, prophecy that had been given about Jesus, that he had seen then fulfilled. So he starts referring to things from the Old Testament, from the prophets, uh, from uh, King David, and talking about things that they foreknew that God revealed to them about who the Messiah would be and what his, his upbringing would be like, things that you would be able to identify and say, oh, th this person's fulfilling the prophecies that have been handed down generations and thousands of years before. This is the Messiah. And Peter's talking about those things that he saw with his own eyes, and he says to these guys, this Jesus, God raised up, the one that, that I'm talking about. He foresaw the resurrection of Christ. David did. Um, he saw that uh, God had sworn an oath that uh, one of David's descendants would be the one who would be the Messiah, uh, that Jesus was not uh, abandoned when he died. He didn't stay dead. He was raised again. And he said, we, all of us together, were witnesses of that event. So then he goes on to say in the, in the next passages that all of these things then bring us to a, an understanding of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. And Peter is saying, what, what I'm encouraging you to say, what Peter's doing is he's saying, this is what I've experienced in my life. I've seen who Jesus is. I understand uh, that he is who he said he was and that he is who the Bible 
proclaimed him to be. I've seen the work that he's done in my life, and I'm now speaking that back to you, and this is my witness. Jason, can we go to the next passage? And then he says these words, and we're going to see the power that comes out of these. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, put that in a little bit of context. Remember I said he's talking to a group of people. This is, these are pointed words that Peter delivers to these people. He says, this is the Son of God, Jesus. And by the way, you're the guys who crucified him. I just, I just told you all of these proofs that he is the Messiah, the one that you say that you've been waiting for, that you wanted to come to rescue you, and yet you crucified him. There's a passage of scripture, I think it's in Hebrews, that says um, something along the lines of, if we've heard the message of Christ, if you've heard the gospel and for whatever reason you reject that and you continue to sin, it's as if you are crucifying Christ again. Because you've heard that there is a remedy for sin. You've heard that there's a, a, a savior, a salvation. And then if you go on and continue to willingly sin, I'm not talking about making mistakes. We've, we've been over this before. There's a difference between, oh man, I messed up and... I'm really having fun in this sin. This is awesome. Those are two different things. And he's talking about the second, that if that's where we find ourselves, admired in sin and, and actively rejecting and being disobedient to God, it's as if we're crucifying Jesus all over again because we've said his sacrifice means nothing. And so you see, if we're talking to one another today or we're talking to, uh, to someone and we're trying to share the gospel, whether we say those words out loud, that's really what we're talking about is that those who continue to willingly be disobedient to God are rejecting this incredible gift, this incredible sacrifice that Jesus has made. And in some sense, crucifying him again. So he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You back up like two or three. Go back to right there. Uh, go, back, go forward one more, sorry. That one. When we think about sharing our witness, see, we're, Peter's sharing his witness, 
And we can use these words. The, the Bible is powerful. The words of the Bible are powerful, and they can be used to share the gospel with people, and they should be. Uh, back in our uh, Who's Your One series, I shared with you the, the, the tool of the Roman road, being able to work your way through these verses in Romans that, that very uh, clearly and, and simply lay out the problem of sin, who has the problem of sin, what the remedy for that problem is, and how you receive the remedy. It's all right there, and that's a great tool. So there's lots of places in the Bible where those words can be powerful, and this is one of those places that you might share this story of what Peter is sharing. However, what I want you to really see out of here is not the words that Peter's sharing, but that he's telling his witness. He's telling his story. And in the telling of that story of what he has seen, God's power moves. There's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament that revolves around uh, Moses when he's leading the people out of Egypt. And they've come to the shores of the Red Sea and the people are losing their minds because they can see the dust cloud in the distance of the chariots of Pharaoh coming to drive them down and beat them down and kill them on the shores of the Red Sea and drag those who are left back to captivity in Egypt. And they're looking at Moses going, what are you doing? You've led us to a dead end. Are we supposed to go out into the sea and just drown? Are we supposed to wait for, for Pharaoh to come and kill us all here? And Pharaoh turns to God and he says, or Moses turns to God and he says, what do you want me to do? And God tells him to, to stand at the edge of the sea and to raise his hand. And as he does that, the waters part. And the story tells us that they walked across on dry land, right? The Israelites escaped, and then the chariots came in, and they're chasing them through the water, and the waters come down and destroys Pharaoh's army. But here's the part that's really exciting to me about that passage. What it says is that it says, uh, it says, as Moses' arm moved, God moved. See, if, if Moses had kept his hands in his pockets, everybody would have died. See, God intends to work through you. Your witness has power. And God sometimes won't move until we move. Now, he can do anything he wants. But he shows over and over and over again that he calls us to be active in the work that he's doing. Even when it comes down to some of the healings that we've talked about when we read some of these Gospels, um, when he says to the man, take up your bed and walk, if the man never takes up his bed and walks, is he ever going to be healed? No, he has, he has to do, he has to, he has to move, he has to move his arm. Our witness goes forth because we have to speak it. And in verse 39, Peter says that this promise that God has given, which is that he will save you. And remember, this is Peter's witness. He will save you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. 
what a what a beautiful picture of God's love. What a what a great testimony of the understanding of the depth of God's love. Now, how does Peter know this? Well, there's there's a few ways. He was there when Jesus taught. He understood the things that Jesus said. In fact, I mean, Peter's the one who got it first, right? When Jesus is saying, who, who does everybody think I am? And there are, the other disciples are throwing out names. Well, some people think you're the prophet Elijah, reincarnated. And Peter jumps up like this. It's this aha moment. I, man, I would love to have seen this unfold because uh, as, a, as a teacher, I love those moments when it just clicks and especially when it, when it like clicks hard, you know, people are wrestling and then it just like, whatever you're trying to get them to understand, it just drops in and there's like this explosion of understanding. It's so fun to watch. And I think that's what happened here. All this conversation is going around and then it finally, man, it just, it just lands on Peter. Whoa, ooh, ooh, I know. You're, you're Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Jesus goes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Man, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed, Simon Bar-Jonah. You're going to be blessed, Simon, the son of Jonah. And from now on, people aren't even going to think of you as Simon anymore. They're going to think of you as Peter. Because Peter means rock, foundation. And you're just, you're just this little rock that's going to start this thing. But on, on this little rock is going to become this massive foundation that is the church of God. And the church of God is going to be built on it. And even when the church goes and storms the gates of hell, hell is not even going to be able to hold back the power of God from the church. I mean, it's this grand statement. So Peter gets it. But just three years later, we find Peter cowering in a courtyard as Jesus is being abused and tortured, and judged guilty even though he's innocent, huddling around a fire and denying he even knows who Jesus is, much less that they're friends. So much so that the, the third time somebody asks him, says, aren't, wait, aren't you with that guy? Just this, this vomit of curse words, because he so wants to distance himself from all of what's happening there. And then just a few short days later, we find Peter in a boat. He's gone back to fishing because he's given up. Nothing turned out the way that he thought it was going to. And a voice from the shore says, are you catching anything? And they're like, nope. And the voice from the shore says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Seriously? I mean... Think about that just for a moment. Think about the practical aspect of that for just a moment. How wide can this boat be? Are you telling me there's fish over there, but there's none over here? That's stupid. But they do it because they're not catching any fish. So it's like, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Throw the net over the other side. The story tells that the net comes in. It's so full, it's bursting at the seams, and the, and the fish are starting to fall out, and they can't hardly contain it in the boat. And in that moment... Peter realizes who is standing on the shore, and he just jumps out of the boat and starts to swim for the shore. And I bet as he, as he went, every stroke as he got closer, 
He was so excited. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. It can't possibly be Jesus. I mean, I saw him on the cross, and then I went down to the tomb, and he wasn't there, but is he really alive? It can't possibly be Jesus. Oh, oh, man, the last time I saw Jesus, the Bible says they sort of locked eyes across the courtyard as Jesus was taken off to be flogged. And Peter knew his shame of his denial. And I imagine by the time he got to the shore, he wasn't really sure where things stood with Jesus. And then we have this incredible moment where Jesus looks at the one who who maybe broke his heart more than any other. and asks Peter to stop fishing and go back to doing what I asked you to do, feed my sheep. That's an incredible expression of love from Jesus there. He didn't put his finger in Peter's face and said, man, you messed up. You denied me three times. I'm mad at you. There's no place for you in the kingdom anymore. You're useless. You're worthless. You're broken. No, Peter knows that the the gospel, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off because at one point Peter was sure that he was as far off as anybody could possibly be. And Jesus reached out instead and embraced him and said, Peter, I love you. Feed my sheep. And the passage here tells us that as Peter told these things, as he told his story, as he shared his witness and his understanding of who Jesus is, that the words were filled with power and the people's hearts who heard it were changed. And so it leaves us here at this final moment with this, with with you, considering your life, your life with Christ, your experience with Christ. when he rescued you, when you called out and said, I want to be saved, whatever fashion that may have been, there's power in that story. As you've begun to grow in his life that he has for you and you've seen him show up in circumstances when you thought there was no one going to show up, when you've seen his wisdom provided to you in times when you wondered and you struggled and you wandered, when you've experienced the the isolation that comes from being disobedient when you know that you should be obedient. And then the, the incredible comfort of him welcoming you back when you repent. Whatever those things are in your life with Christ, those are your witness of him. And they're an incredibly powerful story to tell when you're trying to tell someone about who Jesus is. We share with them what the Bible says and we share with them what he's done for us. And sometimes one-on-one, 
sometimes in large groups. The power of that witness, the power of your witness, God uses. God moves with your hand, and he parts the understanding of people to see him for who he is. And they're drawn to him. And they too can be saved. As we uh, sing this final song together, I just want you to be mindful. I hope that you'll go from this place today contemplating your own understanding of God's work in your life. And if you're unsatisfied with God's work in your life, maybe it's because you're doing too much of your life on your own and not actually asking him to be present with you in the things that you're doing and and saying and where you're going. But I'm encouraging you to spend actual time thinking about your life with Christ and what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you've come to know, what you've come to believe about him and his work in you and to see it for as powerful as it can be if you're willing to share it with those who are lost. And I truly believe because I've seen it in my own life, if you'll do that, if you'll share the witness of what God has done in your life with others, God's power will come in along with that, on top of that, behind that, however you want to think of it, and his hand will move with your hand. And great things can happen. And so this final song this morning is going to kind of put the, the exclamation point on that because it is all about the power of God and who he is. And I uh, hope that you'll sing it with us. And uh, you're welcome to stand or remain seated, whatever you'd like to do. But we'll sing this together, and then I'll have a, a prayer for us before we go. And I'm glad that you guys are here this morning.